0: Well, Happy New Year, Autumn Ridge. It's good to see you here this morning. Some of you call Autumn Ridge Church your home, and we're glad that you are here both in person and online. Uh, And for some of you, you may be here visiting family, and so uh, maybe you kind of stop in every once in a while, or this may be your first time and you live here in the area. We are glad you are here as well. Uh, as a part of, of a rhythm of rest that we do try to give uh, not only you as volunteers, but also our staff, uh, our kids ministry is taking the week off this week, and so though it may be a little louder in here this morning, uh, if you feel the need to take your child out for any reason, please do not feel ashamed of that. You can just get up and walk out. No one's going to judge you. Uh, it will be totally fine. Uh, we also welcome the opportunity for the kids to be in here too, uh, and so we're thankful for you kids being with us this morning. Uh, We do want to push forward as we step into this new year and we think about both the year that has been and the year that is coming. Um, As we think about the year that has been, now you may be in different places as you walk in here. You may be in a place where you are... Uh, really excited about what is coming up in 2023 because of maybe something that has happened in 2022 that's setting up a new thing in your life as you step forward. Uh, But what we also recognize is that there may be some of us in this room who actually are really glad that 2022 is finally done. Uh, Maybe to the point that it has maybe been one of the worst years of your life. And so this is where Jesus enters into our lives, and he says that no matter where you stand on this scale of 2022, thank the Lord that it is over, or 2022, I cannot wait for 2023, he is there for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves this morning. But before we step into the passage that I want us to really look at and to rest in today, uh, I do want to take the opportunity to kind of give us a little bit of a biblical uh, teaching uh, a lesson this morning. Uh, so there is a word that I want to highlight, and it's this word, "remes." This is a Hebrew word uh, that is used in uh, teaching, especially back in Jesus' day. And "remes" literally means hint. It's a hint that is given, and Jesus would use this all the time. Not only Jesus, but also the rabbis and the teachers and the religious leaders of the day. And what they would do was it's not just as simple as saying something that would help them recall a scripture that they may have known, maybe from Psalms or Exodus or Genesis, but it was also a moment of them remembering the context that that came from. So I want to help us to understand this a little bit. So in a more, in a more contemporary sense... Uh, if I were to say the words, oh, say can you see, perfect, see? And that's a rimes. that is an example of a rimes, and it's not just the words that say, because probably when you say that and you think that, a number of things may come to mind. You may think about the absolute best moment when you heard our national anthem performed, sung, or played. You may be thinking about the place you were in when you heard it. Could have been a sporting event. Could have been watching Whitney Houston give maybe the best rendition of all time at the Super Bowl. Could have been maybe at a military funeral and maybe it was someone who was close to you or close in your family and you just really remember that moment. Well, there's some other ones that I... It may date some of you and I apologize for that. Uh, But uh, we wanna have a little bit of fun this morning as we do this. So uh, another one, if I were to say... Um, well now I've forgotten it hold on it's in my head it's on the tip of my tongue sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name Cheers how many of you know Cheers come on and I know this may be a moment where you're like I'm like letting people know that I sin because I watch a show like Cheers it's based in a bar To be clear, we have introduced my teenage sons to the show. This show ran through, if you don't know anything about Cheers, Cheers was a sitcom that ran throughout the 80s and into the 90s. But it's not just about this show. When we say that and we say Cheers, there's probably a lot of things that come up in your mind about this. It could be the location and the set. Maybe you think about all of the dark wood that's inside of the set that is Cheers. Maybe you start to think about the layout of the set. Maybe you start to think about the characters that were a part of this show. Or maybe, if you're like me, you've actually been to the bar in Boston. And you've walked around the square that it's on. And you've been up in the upper level where the bar set is at. Or you've gone down the stairs into the actual bar itself. Cheers. Or how about this one for a different audience? Never going to give you up. (laughs) Never going to let you down. Never going to run around or desert you. If you don't know anything about this, it's probably better that you don't go look it up. Not because it's anything bad, but it would just get stuck in your head. This became a fad and a viral trend back in the early 2000s. It was called being Rickrolled, because this guy's name is Rick, no relation to Pastor Rick, our lead pastor. But Rick had this song, and and it was more about the music video, right? It's not necessarily about the words that he was singing, but it's about how bad his dancing was in this music video, or maybe it's a moment when you were introduced to this, not because you originally saw the music video, but because in the viral trend that happened, somebody sent you something that you thought was really important, and they made it seem really serious, and you clicked on it, and you began to watch something that seemed serious, and then all of a sudden, this video popped up, and it was called Getting Rickrolled. A remes. It's a hint. But it's a hint that's not just about words that are being spoken. It's about the context that they come from. Remez is used all over scripture. One of those moments is in the book of Luke when Jesus is healing a demon-possessed individual. Jesus cast out this demon, and the Pharisees of the day and the religious leaders of the day, they began to point fingers at Jesus, and they began to say, the only reason he is able to cast out demons is because he is the devil himself. And that's when Jesus says, Well, this is the Caleb Smith version, but are you guys idiots? A house divided against itself cannot stand. I should not be able to cast out demons because I am of the devil. Instead, Jesus says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And at a surface level, this is very serious because Jesus is claiming equality with God. But on a deeper level, for the religious leaders of the day that were standing nearby and that understood the context of what Jesus said when he said, finger of God, they would have been mortified because Jesus is calling back to the book of Exodus when the plague of gnats is happening inside of Pharaoh's house and Moses is there trying to help, trying to be faithful to God and the call of God in his life and bring the Israelites out of slavery. And as this plague of gnats is there, even the magicians in Pharaoh's house are trying to recreate this moment. They're trying to show Pharaoh that Moses doesn't have anything on you. This is nothing. We can do this too, but they can't figure it out. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. So when Jesus casts out a demon, and when Jesus says the finger of God, he is also pointing the finger at the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he's saying, "You all have gotten so used to a surface understanding that your heart is being hardened, just like Pharaoh's." It's a remas. It's a hint. But Jesus does this in moments with actions as well. We see this in the ways in which he not only conducts the Last Supper, as we have come to call it, but also in how he teaches his disciples to pray. For many of us who grew up in churches, it recited the Lord's Prayer Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It is not just a moment of Jesus saying, I'm gonna provide for your every need every day. It's a moment of Jesus giving them an example to remember that this is a different type of situation than what happened when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and their daily food came in the form of manna that simply showed up and was there when they woke up and they were commanded to only take what they needed and no more. And each day God would provide for them. Each day God would feed them. So when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he's not just giving them a line to say. He's telling them, I am the one who will provide for this every single day. Just believe in me. You will no longer have to wander in the wilderness. You will be with me. But as we step into a new year, I think it is very important for us to remember and to rest. And this is where we come to where the Remez idea happens inside of a series of psalms. I think psalms is a great place for us to step into in the new year, especially because the psalms are broken out into two types, really. There's praise psalms, which are really great to read, and they encourage us, and and they help us to focus on God. But then there's the psalms of lament as well. And so back to what I was mentioning at the beginning where we may find ourselves on two different sides of the spectrum of being thankful that the year is over or really excited about the new year to come. Is that psalms of lament become the honest way for us to engage in the scriptures, but not just to engage in the scriptures, but to engage in life and in our relationship with God. There are so many psalms of lament Of people crying out and saying, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why the wicked get all the money. I don't understand why those who brazenly and openly disobey you, why they are the ones who get the power. I don't understand why the ones who don't follow you are the ones who seem to have everything going for them. Because in my life it feels like I wake up, and this is literally said in Psalm seventy three, I wake up with a new affliction every single morning. But psalms of lament turn because always towards the end, they have a moment where the person who is writing the psalm has a moment of clarity and they say, but surely it is good for me to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all of your deeds. And I think that kind of remembering and resting is really important as we step into some psalms that are very, very important popular in the church. They're probably known by many of us, and many of you maybe have memorized the one psalm that I am thinking of and that we're going to walk through. Psalm 23. So maybe it'd be helpful for you to follow along in the Bibles that are there in the seat backs in front of you. I'd encourage you to turn there. It's totally okay to look it up on your phone or, your, uh, or, or on the device that you brought with you. I've never seen this happen, but you know, if you brought a laptop, get it out. But we'll also have it on the screen. Psalms is a, is a nice book to, to try to find because you can kind of just hold your Bible like this and then basically go to the middle and you'll probably turn to Psalms. Then you'll be right in it Psalm 23. This is what it says The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, we, we typically, for those of us who've been in the church a long time, or for those of us who maybe have skirted around the church, but you've heard this, I mean, it's super popular psalm. This is, this is popular enough that even in general culture, people recognize some of these words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want And it becomes a psalm that seems very comforting to us. But Jesus is the Messiah who gives us a surface understanding of him that absolutely will draw us into belief and devotion. But for those of us who are who have been with him for a good period of time, if we're not careful, we get too used to the surface. We get too used to the surface, and we begin to see things only by the surface level Jesus. And instead, there's the call of Christ on our lives as disciples to go deeper. And so we're going to unpack Psalm 23 very briefly this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So if the Lord is my shepherd, then what are we? Sheep. Sheep. If you feel comforted by that, then you've never seen sheep before. <laughs> to be clear, sheep are pretty stupid. There's a story uh, from around 2010 out of the country of Turkey. There were a number of families who had all the sheep, they, were, they, uh, they, would, they would take care of their sheep together and so uh, the shepherds were sitting under a tree having lunch and all of the sheep were just kind of hanging out in the field together. One of the shepherds looks up and all of a sudden he recognizes and sees that the sheep are running off in a certain direction. All of them, 1,000. The shepherds begin to get Scared, This is their livelihood. Because what they know is that the sheep are now running towards the cliff. So the shepherds start running after the sheep, but they realize they're not going to get there in time, and they watch helplessly as the sheep run off the cliff. And they get to the edge of the cliff, and they look down, and they begin to take note of the situation. And what they begin to see is a pile of sheep at the, at the bottom of this cliff So they go down And they begin to count And they realize That the first 300 sheep died The next 700 were still alive Because they bounced off the pile And it cushioned their fall Why did the sheep start running off In that direction? Because one of them Decided to do it And everybody else followed Without thinking We're not like that. (laughs) We are smart. We don't just see something and see a bunch of people running off in a certain direction and then decide to follow it. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. See, this this comes across as a way for us to be like, oh my gosh, I just feel the Lord in my heart and it's just so comforting. But this is a commentary on two things. One, the continued problem that it is to be a shepherd. But two, on the humility and the dedication that our Lord gives us by being our shepherd. Because in order for sheep to be beside quiet waters, that means that the shepherd has to go and find water that is barely moving because sheep scare easy and they will not drink from water that is moving too quickly. They won't do it. And so he either has to find water that is moving very slowly and very gingerly or he has to create a pool of water in a flowing river so that that water is not moving so that the sheep will drink it. So, Him leading us beside quiet waters is not a comment about us being able to be refreshed. It's a comment about how much He cares for us. Because we are the ones who get chaotic, we are the ones who get scared, we are the ones who are frightened by the most tiniest little thing. He refreshes my soul. Literally translated, this is about restoration and repentance. It's not about the infilling of the Holy Spirit into our lives. It just makes us go, whoo, I just feel better right now. It's about the work of the Messiah and the work of our Savior into our lives. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. There are deep crevasses in Israel. Shepherds have to take their sheep on these paths and these trails that have huge rock walls next to them. They are literally sitting ducks as sheep in the midst of, in the midst of these moments. Predators are waiting for them. The psalmist is saying that even when I walk through those moments, even when I walk through the moments where I don't know what's on the other side, even when I walk through the moments where it feels like I am hemmed in, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are the one who is leading me. You are the one who is guiding me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me in the midst of this. Again, we take out this phrase and we think it means something else to us. But rod and staff comforting us. We feel good about a staff. We feel good about thinking about the the, the staff of a shepherd and, and and the neck and the crooked neck on top and how he uses it to keep the sheep together and he'll use it to guide the sheep. But too often we think about the rod as we're supposed to be comfortable with discipline because that's what the rod is supposed to be. But in the context of this psalm, the rod is never meant to be a moment of discipline. The rod was only used by shepherds to fend off predators. The rod was only used by the shepherd to protect the sheep. And so the rod and the staff comforting is because we know that not only is he leading and guiding us, but he is protecting us. Who is this psalm about? Jesus. Who is it not about? Us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We could spend this entire year only talking about Psalm 23. From the contextual understandings to understanding what moments did Jesus refer to Psalm 23 in a remez kind of way? And what moments did he bring out hints as he interacted with those in his day? And what is it that he was trying to say through all of that? And what is it that he's trying to tell us as we remember who he is and as we rest in who he is? there's a part of that that still doesn't dive down deeper because Jesus brings out another moment of remez when he's on the cross a couple of different gospels but the one we're referencing is in Matthew Matthew 27 verse 46 Jesus is on the cross He has gone through all of the torture, and now he's hanging there to die. And the scripture says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, on the surface, Jesus is the Savior. Savior. Jesus is the one who wants to come into our lives and to change us from the inside out. For those of us who have never believed, He's the one who wants to penetrate and come to live inside of our hearts and make us new. And for those of us who are believers, He's the one who wants to come in and help us clean out every dark corner and every closet that we don't want to let Him into yet. He's the one who is guiding us and refreshing us, He's the one who's leading us beside quiet waters. But the deeper moment of Remez here, of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, now takes us to Psalm 22. Just before Psalm 23, just before the moment of the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Psalm 22 starts out with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus then, towards the end of his breaths as he's on the cross, he says this. John records it as it is finished. On the surface, Jesus has completed the work, it is done. He has paid the price. But it's a remes back to the end of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 ends in the exact same phrase. It simply comes out in English. We've translated into different specific words, but it is literally the same thing. Psalm 22, 31, he has done it. And so Psalm 22 takes on an entirely different perspective. When we think about Jesus being on the cross and calling these things out, Because those who were standing around him, he was absolutely claiming that I am the king. I am God. And he did it in such a fashion that even a Roman centurion that was there, that was overseeing his execution, even that Roman centurion said, surely this is the son of God. But Jesus was also speaking to the people who were way comfortable with what religion was who were way too comfortable with the scriptures. And he said, this goes on a whole nother level deeper. You've got to engage with me on this, he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me and it is finished? Psalm 22 They would have not only thought about these words, but they would have thought about and remembered every single word that was in this psalm. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. At night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Psalm 22 and 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Yahweh, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Verse 27 All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. When Jesus is on the cross, and he cries out these two things my god my god why have you forsaken me and it is finished he is claiming psalm 22 for himself but he's not just claiming that because what happened when i started to mention the words the beginning words of songs earlier what did you immediately think about the following words so when jesus says it is finished What are the next words that the people would have thought about who knew the scriptures? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He's on the cross. He has breathed his last. And he is our shepherd. And we lack nothing because of it. Kenneth Bailey spent 40 years as a missionary and a professor throughout the Middle East in a number of different places. He was in Beirut Lebanon for 17 years during the 70s, during the civil war that happened there. He has studied culturally and contextually the Middle East and as it relates to the scriptures. He uses regularly commentaries that were written by Arab believers from the third and fifth centuries. He is, was, and in my opinion, still is, even though he has died, the preeminent scholar on all things culturally Middle East as it relates to the New Testament. And in reflecting upon the Lord being our shepherd in Psalm 23, he writes this. In our society, the goal appears to be create wants and turn them into felt needs. If we can do enough of this, we will all become richer and live happily ever after. But the psalmist has a very basic set of wants that the shepherd provides for his sheep. That list includes food, drink, tranquility, rescue when lost, freedom from the fear of evil and death, a sense of being surrounded by the grace of the Lord, and a permanent dwelling place in the house of God. an ever-rising mountain of material possessions is not on the list. There is no hint of any need for power or control. An externally generated set of compulsive desires and the need to be constantly entertained are also absent. The sheep knows that only with the shepherd's help Can they secure the limited list of basic wants? So, what is it that we're stepping into as we turn the page into a new year? We all sit on very different parts of that spectrum. Some of you may be dealing with a lost loved one. Some of you may be dealing with your own depression that you feel like is so deep that you can't tell anybody else about how deep it is. Some of you may be dealing with your own sense of abandonment and feeling like you can't tell somebody how lonely you actually feel. Some of you may see others Who are achieving something in life, and yet you are swallowed by self pity and jealousy and envy, and you can't just be happy for somebody else. Some of you may be so comfortable in what you have and in your life that you've lost the idea and you forget what it means to be uncomfortable. And so when you look on someone else who doesn't have what you have, you actually look at them with pity instead of sympathy or empathy. And the common message that Jesus calls us to is to simply remember him And to rest, no matter where we find ourselves. Be like the psalmist who exclaims and cries out, God, I don't understand. Surely in vain I have followed you. Surely in vain I have kept myself pure. Surely in vain I have been dedicated to who you are and dedicated to your scriptures. Because nothing is working out in my life. Surely in vain. Cry out to him. Because what he will do is he will answer you and he will turn that into, but as for me, it is good to be near God. Because I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of all of your deeds. I think the challenge on us as we step into a new year is remembering that the Lord is our shepherd. And so because of that, we lack nothing. In fact, I want you to read this with me because I want want us to feel every word of this. And I want us to feel it in the moment of thinking about this baby that was born, who lived the sinless life, who died and rose from the grave. And what it is that he claimed about himself And what it is that he was bringing to this earth and to our lives. He is saying to us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is finished because he is our shepherd. So please read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. However many times you have to repeat it to yourself this year. However, many times you've got to be reminded of it, and whether it is tomorrow or whether it's in October. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So let us not just remember and rest, but let us remember the Savior and rest in Him. Because what follows Psalm 23 is Psalm 24. The remez and the hint that would have broken to life in the religious leaders' minds and hearts that they would have thought about that would have been front of them would be Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? One who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Father, in this moment of us bowing our hearts and our spirits before you, we declare and recognize that you are the king. You are Lord over all. And through the sacrifice of Jesus and his death and resurrection, we have salvation, and redemption. And so help us in our moments as we step into this new year when we need to lament. May we lament like Psalm 22. May we cry out for help. But may we remember and rest in the truth of Psalm 23, that the Lord, you are our shepherd. And because of that, and that alone, we lack nothing. And may we be encouraged and challenged in our discipleship by remembering Psalm 24. That the Lord Almighty is the King of glory. And that the call of Christ is to become a fully devoted follower. And so as we continue to step into the days in front of us, may it be your spirit and your truth that pierces into our hearts and our minds and our spirits and gives us everything that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.